Welcome to the State of the Markets podcast. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com. I'm Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. And our very special guest is Dave Collum. He's the professor of organic chemistry at Cornell. He's a libertarian, a fan of the Austrian business cycle and gold. Dave, welcome to the show. Or welcome back, should I say. You are on on episode 60. Hey, guys. uh, Thrilled to be back here. Thrilled to be back here. Well, it's absolutely brilliant to have you back on the show. And we last had you on. We can't believe how long it's been. It's um, the 7th of June, actually, uh, 2019, if you can believe that. 2019 BC, so before (laughs) coronavirus madness. That's exactly right. I'd actually pondered that that little nomenclature myself at one point. How you say? How are you staying sane at the moment, Dave? How, I'm not the- actually. I'm losing my mind. <laughs> right. Well, I, I was hoping for a bit of sanity from you, but I guess I guess not. But um, it's all relative, isn't it? It's it all is. relative shades of sanity or yes. insanity. So I, I guess sir, relative to a year ago, yeah. What, so where <laughs> where 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 do we start in this new year? What 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 are you looking ahead for in in for something positive in in terms of what what could be a positive outcome um, in your mind with the markets with everything that's going on in politics? Well, politics would be great if they just shut up for a while. Um, in the markets, this will shock your readers, but a total market collapse would be good news. You've been a perma bear for a while. I think you were you were bearish when we were last on, and we've seen another level of market um, euphoria. Well, whatever you want to call it, it's we we lived through the uh, and witnessed firsthand all of us the dot com boom, and this is another level of that. I mean, because there is literally no corrections. I mean, at least in the dot com boom, you got pretty decent pullbacks occasionally, and then the mother of all pullbacks. We're just not seeing anything. It's it's straight line stuff. Yeah, and it, it also um, it's also the only mania, and I I don't hear the big guns saying this, but it's the only mania that's based on a com- on no storyline. So every mania in the past had a, a storyline that you say, well, you know, it's kind of forgivable that they bought into that malarkey. So, for example, I would say if let's say Bitcoin's a bubble, I don't want to piss off the hodler. So I'm I'm just saying it hypothetically. But if, if Bitcoin's a bubble, it, there's a story, right? It's 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 an interesting story, and and so if it turns out it blows up and rips people's faces off, in some sense, I think it's forgivable. Um, you could you could legitimate an argument for Bitcoin on the basis that. That whoever's buying slash trading slash investing is doing so because they anticipate quite a potentially quite of some form. Oh, you just cut yes. out of it, Tim. Sorry. Yep. Yeah, I heard that too. Um, yeah. So you know, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So in many ways, the the gold holders and the Bitcoin holders share a very a, a lot of overlap. And so I'm not critical of the Bitcoin crowd at all. Um, I don't own any and, and don't intend to at this point uh, until it becomes the currency of the realm. And then I guess I'll have to. Um, but but the, the market mania is, is based on a premise that uh, somehow a really lousy economy and a complete loss of ability to create wealth can be made up for by printing money. And that, that strikes me as stupid. At some point, the value of money has to just 
implode or something. I mean, it just doesn't, none of this is making any sense in terms of market history because you can't have the biggest crisis that we've ever had pretty much and then just stocks just sail to new highs as though everything's all right. And the amount of bond buying that's going on by the central banks be okay without causing some market ripple. I mean, we're seeing a market ripple well, more more than a ripple in, in in things like the cryptocurrencies. But one would expect this to be seen in the value of precious metals as well. I mean, there, there is that big disparity between why is Bitcoin you know, over $40,000 and, and gold, a real thing, still not breaching $2,000. That, that in itself doesn't compute. Yeah, you know, I, I think the idea that Bitcoin right now is cannibalizing gold's marketplace right. is probably legit. That's my guess. Uh-huh. I also think <clears throat> that the futures market cannibalized the gold market, too. So I think when they put gold futures in there, it, it, it opened the door for all sorts of shenanigans. If I were a price insensitive person, uh, let's say my name is Powell or my name is, you know, some Swiss central banker or something. Christine. Yeah, Christine, you know, yeah, 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 Klaus, whatever. Um, If I was willing to lose money for the good of whatever I think the good is, um, I could easily imagine taking losses in the gold futures market, smacking away at it for a while just to to have fun with it. Um, Physical gold, you can't do that. And so I've become more and more aware of the need to stay away from the futures market and, and go with the, the physical stuff. Um, at some point, I, we may see gold take off if Bitcoin has trouble. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, I'm not sure Bitcoin's big enough yet to, to really be shaking the gold market. But I think people would be running to gold pretty hard if, if Bitcoin didn't exist. So to that extent, I think they're in competition for eyeballs. Do you think that um, Bitcoin is actually not so much cannibalizing gold, but it's 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 just chipping away at any form of confidence in fiat? Uh, fiat's so big, though, that um, that Bitcoin's price does not influence fiat's price, in my opinion. Mm. But 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 the the gold futures market, which seems to be, you know, these are things I don't quite understand, but the the price of things seems to be set by the futures market. I remember arguing with someone 20 years ago and he said the price of oil is set by the, the futures market. And I said, well, at some point you have to sell barrels of oil. And he said, yeah, at the price dictated by the futures market. And nice. it always struck that that eventually will lead to... Um, a market disruption where the, the, the supply demand curve will fall apart and someone will say, yeah, that might be the price of oil, but I'm not giving you a barrel for that price. But this is, this is exactly the point, isn't it? That it's, uh, whenever it's, whenever the first person with, with the first entity with real clout stands for physical delivery of a futures contract, the whole thing is going to, is going to collapse. I, I think so. Or explode higher. And in 2020, it looked, there was a lot of disruptions inside the COMEX and places like that. And it got chalked off as uh, inability of gold to be sourced because of the shutdown. Uh, that might be true, but it also could be as a convenient cover story to explain why um, there was a real problem at the COMEX. There was a lot of chatter back and forth about, you know, legally, what can they 
what can they supply, you know, whether it's gold ingots or whatever. And, and the, the, the London Bullion Exchange um, was backstopping the COMEX. And there's a lot of funny business going on there. So I, I think uh, at some point we could have a break in the market and the real price of gold could be set. Um, Bitcoin is is independent of that sort of thing. It's it's its own entity. It's a it's a pure digital commodity. I guess is another way of looking at it. There's um, a chap that writes he used, to, he used to write a piece called the Thunder Road Report. Did um, Paul Milecrest, and I remember probably it's probably getting on for a decade ago now that he said this, but it's always it's lodged in my 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 memory. And it's um, the next leg up in gold will prove to be a religious experience for those people who find themselves short. <laughs> I'm hoping. Uh, um, you know, sh- short sellers serve a major purpose in the equity markets. They are the only cop in the, in town. They're the only sheriff in town, and so no, they, they shape they shape price discovery. Well, and they also find the the criminals. And so when 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 uh, some guy like Einhorn or or Chanos or these guys get on a company and start beating on them. You can these guys do their homework. They don't they don't bet against a company due to price. They find frauds and they they ferret them out and then they expose them. And so so the the, the shorts, the, the serious shorters, the guys who find fraudulent companies and, and unearth them, they, they serve a purpose. Shorting something like gold, there's there's no purpose beyond just um, financialization of the system. So there's, there's a guy that you may have met, I can't remember his name, but he was at the Vegas conference that we both attended a few years ago, I think three years ago, uh, that was run by Stansbury Research. Right. And he was a dedicated short seller. And he said he 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 particularly liked shorting restaurant chains because he said there was so just so many people were sort of dipping their hand in the till. But I loved the way he expressed what he does is basically I look for wounded animals at the side of the road and then run over them a few times. <laughs> you know, I don't remember that. So uh, um yeah. Okay. That was in uh, one of the breakout sessions, though, so it wasn't. It, it wasn't in the main event. Oh. Okay. 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 I, I didn't do breakout sessions. But the um the thing that for anyone that isn't familiar with with Dave Collum, uh, the thing that you're probably most famous for now, and and rightly so, is the the your year in review, which is basically a, a highlight for anyone that follows investments, the the investment world. And it would be fair. To, I mean, I'm not trying to blow smoke up anyone's um. Uh, behind, but the, it would be fair to call it magisterial. I would, I would suggest it's just, it's just epic. It's, 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 it's like the Bible, but better. <laughs> like well, you know, um, unlike the Bible, you can get a signed original copy too. Um, the uh, well, I appreciate that. This year, you know, my high point was getting an email from Larry Summers saying he laughed his way all the way through it. So I, I got it. In, I got it into the Death Star. The worm got in there. Um, so yeah, that's pretty good. Every year, it's it's a bit of a religious experience writing it because I kind of rough it out. So I have a 150, 200 pages of rough draft, which which is just wretched reading. It's not funny. Doesn't have graphics or anything. And mm. and so I go, ah, this is just awful. And by the end, I usually can convince myself it's not so bad. Um, it does seem to be received well. I don't think I would be able to find time to read it if I were not me. Um, have you ever stuff. thought of trying to? To, to ask a crass question, have you ever thought of trying to monetize it? Because I'm sure there'd be plenty of willing payers. Um, I've never thought about trying to monetize it. 
When do you actually start writing it? Because it must be really January difficult. the first. Well, <laughs> well, some level that's true. So I I keep an open word file on all my different computers, and when I see something, I just paste it. So I have these notes. Sometimes there'll be a quote and a link. Sometimes it'll be a paragraph, a chunk of a sentence, whatever, and a link, whatever catches my eye. And then then the writing process that that creates the notes that most authors who've written books um, are familiar with. And then. Uh, and then sort of October, I sort at night and then in um, because they're not organized in any way, shape or form. So I have to sort of call out the gold and call out the central bank and call out the things. And usually during the year, there's a couple of topics that catch my attention. I go, oh, I am going to have to write about that. And so they, they start fleshing out as the year goes on because I start picking up shards of info. And then in November... Uh, again, a lot of nights, but it's been invading my days more lately. Um, I write and then sort of week or two in December, I'm really just full at it mode. So we've spoken about Bitcoin going up, and but I think the man on the street is probably um, more sensitive, the man and woman on the street, of course, are more sensitive to the price you of race, equity. Racist. <laughs> more, <laughs> Misogynist. <laughs> well, I included them. I suppose we ought to include the other sector. Anyway, we're not going to go there. The um, so the point is equities is what we know. We, there's we know there's three sexes: male sex, <laughs> female sex, and insects. <laughs> oh, God, can we boot him off this? We- <laughs> I'm here all night. I'm here all night. Dada tush. So the equity markets is what most people are very sensitive to, and um, what what do we think the outlook is if we could indeed predict further than a couple of weeks or look in the crystal ball to see what might turn this market down. We have got Biden and his president who's saying that he wants to get, you know, a bit, a, a bit firmer on big tech. And, and there's talk of breaking up companies and monopolies having too much power. Do we believe that the market at the moment doesn't seem to, because there's no reaction in the equity markets. Well, well, bubbles let go. The bubble analogy might not be good because I don't believe the pin analogy anymore. So I, I don't, I don't think a pin pops them. I've decided that proximate triggers are artificially, you know, showcased. And so they say, well, what, what triggered the 0809 crisis? I have no idea. Actually, I, I view it as just a, a system that becomes so metastable that the most most innocuous vibration starts it off. You, you don't know which snowflake is going to trigger the avalanche. That's right. And the other thing is, is um, it just it, it's just so unstable. And uh, and by the way, if 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 pins could prick bubbles, COVID would have pricked it. Yeah, yeah, that's There's a good no point. question. And so we went into 2020 heading for a recession. There, I have no doubt that everything was turning down. And, uh, and, you know, it's amazing how what probably globally $20 trillion was able to resurrect the bubble. Um, so it'll let go when it's ready. Um, the valuations are so preposterous that, um, that either you have to assume we're not going to regress to the mean ever again, which means, by the way, your returns will be mediocre or we will regress to the mean and your returns will be truly negative for a considerable period of time. So but there is there is a distinction though between markets and then in, and then stocks. So the I I mean clearly I'm talking my book as a value manager, but <clears throat> I mean the death of value is, is is a very popular meme in the media. But 
I mean, if I just selfishly talk about our fund, which is an unadorned global value fund, we were up 10% last year. And that's not a bad outcome, given what happened to the FTSE last year. So, you know, value, you know, value means different things to different people. What I'm, what I'm slowly getting at is I think it would be possible. And again, I, I stress I am talking my book, but I, I, I can see it easily happening that big tech gets crushed, but actually some of the more bombed out things do have a perfectly decent year. That because that's what happened in two thousand. Well, um, I think if two thousand, if the, the two thousand dot com bus is a fair analog for what what may be to come, maybe I have a I, I'm a little more pessimistic about the the stuff that sh, that doesn't need any more beatings. I, I have this sense that that probably when when the avalanche lets go, most of the snowflakes that were on it will go with it. But um, I think the relative performance of, of the value will be phenomenal. I put out a tweet yesterday or the day before, I can't remember, saying, look, I'm looking for, for you know, beaten down value ideas, stocks with good dividends, you know, that look secure. And I compiled from that, that seemed to be a popular topic. And I compiled about 30 names that people came up with. I'm going to be checking into them for fun. Um, the, the key factor is that you want stuff that doesn't have any debt. Well, that's why, or at least the the debt-to-revenue ratio that that looks credible. I I don't know what the best metric for debt is. uh, To me, debt-to-revenue is important because I I like to see that it it takes less than a year's worth of revenue to knock out the debt. Um, So is anything caught your eye provisionally that you you might want to speak about? I mean, obviously, the caveat that you haven't done any research into it, but. Uh, which, which which should I look at? Any any stocks that have caught your eye that you think actually that that's oh, these are quite um, interesting. Well, so I I think probably um, I have a a hankering for energy. Again, I'm still nervous that when <laughs> when the sell off occurs, and I, I don't mean sell off like eighty seven. Those if, if I thought eighty seven was the downside, I'd be hundred percent equities, hundred mm. percent equities because eighty seven is just a blip. Yeah. Um, but the, we, uh, we know that now at the time it felt like the end of the world didn't it or was right. it 23 percent in a day but 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 i think we're looking at you know another one of these protracted i you know i think s p target of a thousand is fine I, I think that's a reasonable i actually think it puts it at fair value at about a thousand so how do you play this then dave do you do you, you sit this out and just let the overvalue overvaluation continue or do you just nibble at the things that you think have got the best potential value as tim does or or how what do we do what would you do here well tim is definitely along those lines we've chatted before on that topic um i am looking very much at sort of the materials energy guys um and trying to decide if uh a company like rio tinto looks interesting to me and I, so, someone brought up the idea of a 500 year bond and finally we could get a five percent yield and i thought about that and i said you know a 500 year bond is the equivalent of a checking account right it, and, and if it gives you five percent then you just put all your money in that 500 year bond and 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 collect five percent from that point on and and i realized that in infinite duration it just becomes a bank account um, so, so I've been scrambling my brain a little bit, trying to understand the difference between a, a, a 500-year bond and why at 5%, that sounds good to me, 
whereas a a 30-year bond at 1.6% sounds bad to me, and it ultimately comes down to the yield, I guess. Um, So the bond market right now is telling you that you can invest for any period of time um, to lose money. Yield, yield, bond yield, what's that, granddad? Yeah, I know. It's it's yeah, I know. It's such a concept. Um, but but right now you can't make money in bonds except as a trader, and that's a fool's game for most of us. So um, so you you can't own bonds, in my opinion. You just can't own bonds unless you intend to trade them, unless you can top tick and bottom tick them. And I can't. So so I can't own bonds. I do actually because I've got money in places that I don't control. And uh, in fact, I've got equity exposure in place I don't control. Yeah, so. yeah. I think most people have like some pension fund that's being managed for them, um, and exactly as you say, you can't control what they're going to do, and they're pretty much forced by European law to to buy bonds anyway. I'm not sure what the the deal is in America, but I'm guessing it's probably similar. So I, I have I measure things in terms of annual salaries. I have about uh, eight to ten annual salaries of cash. And that's been driving me nuts lately. And the reason it's been driving me nuts is because it is possible they're going to do some sort of Zimbabwe-like thing where that's mm. the one thing that can't possibly even chase the market. Mm. And I've been bothered by the possibility that they they really will not let the markets drop, even if it means a disastrous level of inflation. Paul Singer, there's some big guns out there calling this out. As, as I was I, I was just going to ask what your thoughts were about the the prospect of either messily high inflation or possibly even worse stagflation during 2021. Well, I think if we have inflation, we're going to have stagflation. So, because um, we already got the stag part. Yeah. Um, we just need the inflation part. And I think it's already there, but I, I, we don't have an inflation that's registering in the stock market yet. Mm. Right. The stock market doesn't seem to recognize inflation. It's supposed to, but it doesn't. So it's, it's I, not it's not selling because of inflation. I think I may have sent you a piece I wrote probably about seven or eight years ago now about trend following. Did I did I send that to you? I can't remember. Um, but basically, I was just wondering, I think we discussed it briefly on our phone chat a, a few weeks ago. Uh, I'm just thinking in terms, so here's the kind of you know, compulsory plug for, for what we do. So within my business, we, we primarily invest in value stocks on an unconstrained basis globally. So we've got a lot of ex-China Asia exposure um, because that's where all the value is. Uh, it's also where all the growth is. Uh, but is that, is that absolute value? Uh, so had, so, okay. So good question. So how would, how would I define value? A value, a value stock is basically a highly cash generative business run by principal shareholder friendly management with a meaningful stake in the game who, um, who, who, are who have an excellent track record of capital allocation and where the shares of said business are for whatever reason, trading at a, you know, at a, an unwarrantably low price relative to the, you know, the the the, the, the profits of the business. Slightly so long-winded. So you're though. not getting sucked into a relative valuation. So it's, so it's not. So in other words, we're trying to avoid value traps, which are basically right. recovery plays that may never recover. So they're cheaper than Teslas, what you're saying? For yeah, further. yeah, but, but everything's cheaper than Tesla. So. <laughs> <laughs> Someone came out and said something to the effect of what Tesla's price should be, and it was an outlandish number in Chanos. Chanos on Twitter said, uh, said that's a really good idea. Price Tesla at 50% of the global GDP. That'll work out well. 
Well, the, 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 well, the killer argument that I came across via Twitter um, about a month ago, and I don't know if we've talked about it on the podcast before, is the idea that Elon, I mean, Elon Musk is now the richest man in the world. Um, if Elon Musk, what, what Elon Musk could plausibly do is do a kind of AOL Time Warner deal where he basically reverses Tesla into. He's uh, he doing can, that. He's, he's doing, doing a, that. He's doing it already. So basically, he realizes the. In the same way, because I remember from the first dot-com boom, trying to think who it was now, it was the Cisco. So Cisco would base, Cisco had so much stock market firepower that if anything came on the horizon that looked remotely like a threat, they would just instantly buy it with, with equity. Um, so they were basically becoming even more and more of a sort of monopolistic type player. And right. Tesla could do the same thing, but basically you know, take over Honda, GM, Ford, Fiat, I mean, God knows what. Uh, and then actually, then the, then the value, whatever the valuation ends up being, would be would be legitimate. Well, what I remember, so I remember the AOL Time Warner deal, thinking that's it. I, I, I the, the word on the chat boards was before Twitter, but I was on chat boards, which turned out to have some prominent guys who you wouldn't know it because you didn't know what their names meant. Um, but 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 when they when they bought Time Warner, they they were cashing in their chips. As far as I was concerned. Now, other companies tried to do that. Other big dot coms tried to do it. And there was such an uproar by people saying, why do you want to buy that stuffy old company when we're making so much money with your shares? That's stupid. So they kind of got stepped on. And they didn't realize that the owners of these dot coms were, were trying to cash in their chips at the right time. So there was a resistance to doing that by activist shareholders who liked making 30 or 40 percent a year so do you think that tesla are actually doing that meaningfully now well so tesla announced they were going into oil drilling oh right okay that and, doesn't make sense that, that, now, that's a weird a weird form of vertical integration for an electric car maker well, it, it is. There was a certain hypocrisy built into the statement. But what's also true is my guess is they're not going into oil drilling using some electric driven drill, um, but rather they're going to buy up buy up companies. If, and, and, they're, and, and so they'll, if they start, if you see Tesla starting to purchase companies, that's kind of a bell ringing, in my opinion. Um, could could Tesla could the Tesla bubble burst? Tesla's an epic, epic, epic bubble. You know, so I put out a tweet that I thought was clever. You know, I always think what I say is clever. Um, there's, a, there's a lot of that Te feeling about, uh, Dave, is any consolation? I said Tesla bulls, um, uh, Tesla bears say, you know, Tesla sold 500,000 cars last year, less than 500,000. Tesla bears say, um, but we're not really a car company. And I went back to Tesla Bulls and say, we sold Tesla sold less than 500,000 batteries last year. And then Tesla Bulls say, well, we're, we're, we own rockets. And Tesla Bears say, no, you don't. Um, and, and so the, the, the Tesla fans, it really is very cultish at this point. It's phenomenally cultish. They, they're buying Elon. And I see Elon as just one of the truly great hosers <laughs> of the 20th century. Mm, I'm just just unpacking that. I mean, I'm just thinking that um, the the green revolution is playing into these companies. You've got Neo, the Chinese company that's been on a tear as well as as Tesla. If everybody in the world is forced to buy a new car and it's got to be electric, then. If, <laughs> 
the the value of of said electric car companies will go up but one would also expect the other car manufacturers to respond so it's 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 difficult um compared to the we talked about the top of the show the original dot-com boom where you had companies that literally made nothing trading at valuations that were eye-watering and then they trebled and quadrupled um at least they're making something but that doesn't that doesn't justify the the valuations what i think may upset the apple car is whether Electric is actually the future because some people are thinking that it's actually hydrogen fuel cells. I wonder whether you had a view on that, given that you're looking at energy. Um, the hydrogen fuel cells, I'm not really qualified yet to get at those, although I'm, I'm watching them. Um, I My bullishness on energy is that I, I don't think they have found the future energy yet. I don't. I, I, I'm trying to figure out, for example, how to invest in uranium without just buying miners. I, I'm. I've been. Kamiko. Kamiko. I own some of that. It's a token, token amount. But yeah. um, but there's probably better ones than Camigo. But but I, 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 because the future of nuke is the second generation nukes, and I've been told by a guy who runs one of these plants that the future uh, nuke plants are going to use so little uranium that that the miners are not a good play. Wow. Okay. And so, so you got to find a way to invest in nukes, but not uranium miners. Now, wouldn't that push the price of energy down though, given that they'd be so efficient? Well, Mike, but what I, the bet that I'm making is that the people who are bidding up alternative fuel stocks and bidding down energy stocks are not correct. I'm not a believer that um, alternative energy is in any position to displace fossil fuel right now. And so so I think wherever the electricity comes from for all these cars, uh, find that fossil fuel that produces that electricity and invest in those. So it could be mm. coal, could be natural gas. Um, I, I took a position in natural gas recently, although again, I'm a believer that when markets start selling, everything sells. So mm. I'm doing it partially trying to trigger the markets to sell so I can say, oh, I just got hurt. But I've got so much cash that it, it, it's like throwing chum into the water. You're, you're not wasting bait. You're, you're trying to chum the water. So You're going to need uh, a bigger portfolio. Well, so, so I, I, I'm building a list. I'm building a wish list for what I think will has been beaten down and, and no way can go away. I, I own tobacco stocks already. I think selling to junkies is always a good bet. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think energy is the, the one area that catches my mind and, and biomass is a write off. Um, I'm not convinced and some, this may show my ignorance. So if someone knows this field, well, I'm not convinced that if you do a complete energy audit on things like wind and solar, I'm not convinced they're energy positive over their mm. lifetime. It's funny you mention um, the bulletin boards because I remember one of the most notorious ones, and also my favorite at the time in 2000 was a, a maybe you used it, it was, a, it was a bulletin board called fuckedcompany.com. No, no, I used to go to the Prudent Bear with run oh, by. Okay. Uh, no, uh, fuck, fuck company. Tyson, Doug Nolan. Oh yeah, well, Doug Nolan is 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 a, is a star, and his credit bubble bulletin is 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 legendary. Phenomenal, phenomenal. He must be on suicide watch too, because for twenty years he's been telling us how screwed up the credit markets are. 
but uh, fucked company was great so it started out as a basically a, like a deadpool where you'd nominate dot com dot bombs and the more spectacularly they flamed out and the more human misery and, and capital was destroyed the more points you got and then it kind of reinvented itself as a as a as a chat room for people to talk about dot bombs instead and it's the first time i came across this phrase which was we've got the perfect business model we're going to lose money on every sale but we'll make up for it in volume that's exactly i remember that vividly um, and, and now, of course, t- uh, Twitter has effectively replaced Fucked Company, uh, possibly literally, um, boom, boom, Tarby. And I wondered, what's your thoughts about the way social media has just, ca- well, cancelled, you know, people arbitrarily, including, you know, the, the serving president, then president of the United States? Um, well, social media, here, here's the interesting thing. We haven't had a big sell off with social media at this level of volume, right? So so back in 08, 09, social media was out there, but Twitter was really still a twinkle in most people's eyes. And and so I, I could imagine, for example, a sell-off getting exacerbated by it, a, 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 a bottom-forming moment where, you know, pe- the despair is getting to the point where it's, you know, sort of worth a buy sort of thing, um, getting more desperate, than than it used to because of the ability to to propagate horror and mayhem mm-hmm. and uh, then you mentioned the president um, boy I the politics of the United States is so bad now I'm I'm very pessimistic it feels like Roman Empire fourteen you know year four seventy five mm-hmm. the the barbarians like, are at the gate yeah the barbarians are at the gate um, you know you can say oh it's a process but it it I talked to a hedge fund manager two days ago um, who's anonymous on Twitter, but I know who he is. And uh, he, he just he's getting positioned to get a passport that will allow him to, to bug out of the country. Um, it's not Rudy says, Havenstein, is it? No, no, it's um, I can't tell you who it is because I don't out him even as an anonymous Twitter. I'll tell you, but not on air. Oh, OK. But he said he's never felt like his political views put him at risk like he does now. Mm. But you, 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 you had your own personal uh, cancellation problem, didn't you? During the yeah, uh, I've had actually now three of which only one was really consequential. I sort of one was high level, one was medium, and one was trivial. That I mean, it's interesting that these um, social media companies are actually doing this in the first place. Given that um, I don't know if you you know the. The, well, you probably know very well, but the Section 230 uh, Act that was written in the 90s that basically says that these that they're not liable or vicariously liable for what's put on their platforms. So why they should care doesn't really make sense from a financial point of view um, when most of their their um, their their kind of business model comes from people arguing anyway. Well, I, I think that's a, I agree. So the two thirty rule basically says, look, either be media, which point you're responsible, and at the same time you can you can do anything you want, or you can be a platform, which means you're not responsible, but then you you're not supposed to be able to boot people for their political views and stuff exactly. like that. And they're kind of they're kind of straddling the fence right now. Yeah, um, they're so wealthy and so powerful, it's not clear who would be able to call them out on it. Right? That they're they're. 
I used to talk about how the bank runs the world because they have all the money and print all the money. And if you took it away, they could reprint it again. And and so it seems to me that it was self-evident that politicians do not run the world the banks do. I'm beginning to worry that now we've got a, a second player and that's Silicon Valley. And I think that Twitter's business model is is and, and what their role is and Facebook's role is, is just it's not about eyeballs. It's it's. It's there's something bigger brewing underneath the surface, and I, I, the world looks really connected to me now. I'm I'm getting to the point where you know I don't believe in almondite aliens, or and I I do believe in moon landings, but there's a lot of stuff that I'm I'm willing to entertain, um, a, a connectivity of events that I formerly had not connected, and say it's too creepy. Great example, by the way, is just pay attention to all the things that occurred after the U.S. elections, all the events, all the, the changes in policies about lockdowns and, and, and you know, the World Health Organization announcing that, that, um, that masks don't actually do any good. And, and all of a sudden, I'm saying, well, ivermectin is a pretty good therapeutic treatment after all and crap like that. It, it all seems to be connected into one big web of douchebags. Yeah. So with Bill Gates in there somewhere. So it seemed that um, money. And Klaus Schwab. So it seemed that money was power at one point, and now it seems that information is power. Yeah. Yes, and and they also have the money, so they got both now. Yeah, and um, so coming back to the question of whether these tech companies will be truly uh, broken up because of their monopolies, if that was, to, I can't see that happening. Just on the, well, I can. I, I think it should happen. I think it it would happen if that's what the government wants. But um, who's the government? Is it is sort of like an open philosophical question? It, it's sort of it, that's right. It, it's a it's a circular thing, isn't it? It's like the government are <clears throat> are, requ- are or are at the beck and call of these um, you know technology companies because they will help them to get into power and then they keep them in power and 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 it's just it just keeps going round, but. America is a power. If if they were to um, weaken the strength of of their their technology companies, then you've got China, who will whose authorities will just strengthen theirs. So you'll you'll have a massive disparity and potential for them to overtake America. Well, I'm not convinced. So the other thing that kind of popped into view, literally within I'd say the last two months. I, I realize that I might be, might be underestimating China's role the whole time. And I know that China's important and stuff like that, but all of a sudden events that um, didn't make that, any sense, before, which I could not see Chinese fingerprints on at all. All of a sudden, I, the fingerprints showed up and I go, you know, is it possible that China's been um, been up to nefarious things the whole time? And I, I'm sure you, at least one of you, saw the video of the Chinese right-hand man to Xi Jinping giving a talk in China. If not, I'll, I'll send you guys links where he's he's talking to an audience that's post-election and he, he's talking about how they've controlled the political elite in the United States for years. He's just openly saying this. But how have they allowed that to happen in America? I mean, surely saying, America, well, yeah, it's a good question, but... Well, I would say the know. same thing's happened here. Um, well, it's the money. Yeah. Right. But America's so got think, plenty of money. I think, and power. I think if you dug into it, you could find that Obama had ties with China. The worst thing about the Biden presidency is that um, I think it, it the exists. Average- the worst thing about it is that it exists. 
Yeah, well, good news is if he dies, we get Harris. <laughs> um, that's a joke. Um, and, uh, but the Biden presidency, to me, the very worst part of it is, is that I think China does own him. I think the evidence is pretty good. And which means we're never going to get any. We're, the, the one guy who looked like he was willing to fight China was Trump. And we got yeah. him out of there and China's happy. So the guy given the talk talked about how, you know, they couldn't control Trump. But my, 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 my suspicion and, and suggestion would be that we actually have Manchurian candidates installed throughout half of the Anglosphere. I think that's right. I, I, they're all pre-vetted. And, and tr- somehow Trump uh, you know, slid by them and they underestimated his capacity to get the vote. I'm sure I'm pretty sure they would have rigged the 16 elections better if they had uh, they had known that Trump could do it. I think the polls were misleading. I think they rigged the polls, but then they believed their own polls. So it was a kind of a stupid thing. It's like Morgan Stanley buying its own CDSs back in 2007. Um, and so uh, so I think they said, oh, we can't let that happen again. So I'm a big believer in the wholesale election fraud. And and I can I think the data is pretty good supporting it. But I also have the counterfactual view where I said, look, these are guys who whipped up at the steel dossier. These are guys who whipped up impeachment. These are guys who've been beating on them 24 seven with the media and absolutely unwilling to give them a, a, a just a even a hint of a win on anything. And yet they forgot to rig the election. I, I doubt it. I, I seriously doubt it. And, you know, right away, people are going to be going, oh, but, you know, it's 80 court cases. Well, none of the court cases actually looked at the data. They were all dismissed. So the, the, the court cases did not lay out the data and say, OK, we've looked at everything. We spent two weeks going over it. And here's the outcome. They were all dismissed on various procedural <clears throat> issues and stuff like that. So so this lawsuits against um, Giuliani and Sidney Powell could get interesting. This is by Dominion. By- yeah, because now here's my prediction. They will never go to court. They will not go to court. Um, and I, I, you know, my wife got sued for 15 million by a developer wanted her to <laughs> shut up. It's just a slap suit. Mm. Um, you can sue someone, make a lot of hay and then just say, never mind. And it just sits there dormant. So the lawsuit is, is just a bluff tactic. You you file the papers and then you don't do anything. Can you not counter sue though for something like vexatious litigation? Uh, you could, but then you're going to spend a lot of money doing it. Mm. So if I can tell you as a person who was on the receiving end of a slap suit, to have it just go, just stop functioning is a pretty good outcome. Mm. It's funny because I was talking to Grant Williams earlier and uh, we're going to get Grant on for the next show, by the way, Paul. Oh, fantastic. Uh, and for anyone that doesn't know, and I, I, I don't want to sort of you know piss on his parade or piss on his chips, but basically he got involved in a very messy situation when he was at Jeffries, which ultimately he, uh, led. He sent me the entire court case. Mm. He's the entire transcript of the court case. I went through it, and it, it was a fascinating case. I'm not sure he he seemed surprised that I knew about it. Mm. And so I, I, I don't know if he didn't want, of course, we're talking about it now, but, mm. but yeah, they did a total, Jeffries was totally baseless, baseless behavior and Grant kicked their asses in court. Mm. And the judge, the judge was unbelievably flattering to Grant in his, his final decision, what he said about what a gentleman he was and stuff like that. And, you know, I know Grant's both a gentleman and a dirtball down deep. 
And, uh, <laughs> and so I adore him actually. And, um, I was, it's, 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 it's a great David and Goliath story though, isn't it? Yeah, I once drove to New York City, which is four and a half hours, to spend the afternoon chatting with Grant and Simon Michalovic, just just to chat. Then I got back in my car and drove home, and uh, and just to just to have a chat with them. That was fun. So, if, so how, how? Sorry, sorry, Paul. I'll let you go. First. No, no, no. You go. How, how do we get out of this funk? If if it's uh, possible to get out of this funk. Well, you know what would have helped. I think is if when the Democrats won, which you got to give them the victory on this one, right? If they had taken the high road, Biden had said, look, let's just move forward. But but the fact that they're, um, the fact that they seem hell bent on destroying everything in their path and to make it, you know, Trump can't run for president again. I, I don't care if he thinks he can. He He won't get the votes. There's too many people who are, who voted for him will say, but not again. It's like Hillary trying to run again, right? That too many no, 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 gag me with a spoon, no. Mm. Um, and so I don't think he can run again, but but somehow there's the, the left is so hell-bent on destroying everything having to do with Trump, and there's so many prominent, seemingly otherwise reasonable people talking about um, anyone who voted for Trump has to be expunged, and it just it's just crazy. And so... I think of the, the post-election, the Democrats had been more gracious winners. That would have helped a lot. But they're not. They're a bunch of douchebags. And they're, they're trying to, we're going to see heads on pikes outside the castle wall um, before this is over. And I, I think that's a fundamental mistake. You want to you keep the Trump crowd unified and, and, and angry. Just do that. I think you'll also see lots of uh, Biden, Biden voters turning in their graves. Yeah, well, you know, uh, that, I, was, so, that was a joke. Yeah, not, I know. Not a very good one. <laughs> no, I, I got it. I got it. Um, so I, I so I don't think the left handled the post-election period very well. And, you know, the the capital, you know, the optics at the capital were bad. Um, the level of violence was no worse than what we put up with all spring. But, but but there's there's been no challenge to the the remote possibility that maybe that was actually um, a largely, a genuinely largely peaceful thing that got infiltrated by Antifa. Well, Antifa, or who knows, right? Well, who knows? Um, let's go back to China. If there was an uprising in Hong Kong, hypothetically, do you think it's possible maybe our CIA guys are on the perimeter poking people? Mm. Right? And so, so if you, somehow you think China's not in any way, shape, or form getting into the game and 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 agitating. In my year in review, I wrote about the fact that if you don't think there's embedded embedded people in the right wing movement, you're dreaming, right? That there's clearly embedded people in the left wing movement. Um, and so there was also, um, you know, there was a bill to punish people, you know, because of this violence um, of the Capitol, presented by a, a congresswoman. At four oh at four oh six on January sixth. That that's that's right in a pretty fast bill, right? But the draft was dated January fifth, mm. and so they had written a bill to deal with the violence before the violence showed up. Well, there is there is a gentleman. Um, I won't name him, um, though most people, many people will will know who he is anyway. Who who claims that he got a copy of the recording of the? Well, sorry, he got a copy of the inauguration. 
seven hours before it took place. Got a cop? Really? They filmed it ahead? That it, would, no, it didn't go out live. It, it, it was pre-recorded. But the Biden speech? Yeah. I, I'm merely passing it on. I'm not claiming there's any validity to it or, or not. I'm just passing it on. So So did it talk about timely things that would you shouldn't have known before? The, I didn't listen to it. Did it have stuff about the six? What I did, I mean, I, I caught some of it and it, it just made me want to vomit. But that was because someone did a very good analysis on it. And I, I've written about it in the, the most recent market commentary that I put out. And he makes the point, the, the writer of this thing makes the point that none of it made any sense. It was all just a, a stream of platitudes that were non sequiturs yeah. relating to each other. So it was just things like, platitudes. Yeah. That's what so I heard. There wasn't a coherent argument. It was just, you know, America, you know, love, freedom, you know, popcorn. Right. You know. Kumbaya. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's Biden, right? I, I, I doubt he wrote the speech, and I doubt he could handle something complex. Um, I don't think Biden was probably that bright before his marble started rolling around a little bit. Um, I, I would say the Biden dementia story got played intensely. He wasn't. I don't think he's as nuts as I thought during the campaign, I thought he was going to get up in the debates and stuff and be incoherent. And that clearly did not occur. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I think that I think this the capital, the events at the Capitol are being overplayed in an extraordinary way. And the, the, the potential for tyrannical um, response, I think, is enormous. Do you think there's any likelihood that or any possibility that any of the states will try and secede? Oh, I don't even know how to start with that. Because what's um, well, I think it may well be you that actually put out this 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 data. I, I, it's certainly something I saw on Twitter. It was basically looking at the basically the inflows and more 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 importantly the outflows from various states. And there are some states that everyone just wants to leave, and one of them being California. Well, California is, is a mess. I think um, th there's a number of states that are so broke. And, and so dysfunctional. So California has got um, politically as a, as a dumpster fire. Mm -hmm. uh, they do all sorts of crazy things like now you can't build um, you can't build residential housing, I think it is, or, or maybe it's multi-unit housing um, that uses natural gas. Now you can have you can be concerned about green and all sorts of stuff like that and global warming if you wish, but you can't legislate it away. And they're should trying you, you should, to do you should have seen the global warming that landed all over the UK yesterday. Tons of it on the streets. <laughs> yeah. Well, what, what I'll tell your listeners is, is that I studied the global warming problem seriously. And the one thing I'm confident is that you can't visually see it. Mm. It, it, it. You can't say, oh, look at the hurricane. You can only, you can only see it if the, if, the, if the charts are distorted, manipulated. Well, even let's let's say hypothetically it's Forged. real and it's serious. You 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 can only see it with a careful long-term analysis, even if it's real. Um, so the the price, if you say, hey, we're getting flooding because of it, I go, no, the sea level is rising the thickness of a dime per year, and and it's been doing so for fifteen thousand years. So, um, so so you can't see you can't say this flood is because of global warming. You can't say the reefs are dying because of global warming, even because when the hurricanes took out the tourist industry, the reefs all regenerated. And it turns out it was the tourists who were destroying the reefs. Um, and 
And you can't say they're wildfires. That's all land management. So that, that people have studied climate events and the frequency and the magnitude over the last hundred years, serious players. And they say that there's no measurable change in serious climate events. And so people who look outside and say, oh, my God, it's so warm. Like I'm seeing very little snow right now. That's not global warming. It's, it's way too incremental. Even it's if weather. It's, it's called weather. It's called weather. But even if it's profound, even if global warming story is dead on correct, which I'm actually a non-believer at this point, but even if it is, you couldn't see it. It's, it's, like, uh, it's like saying, oh, I can see the glaciers moving, right? No, you can't. But it's funny, though, isn't it, that you have exactly the same level of hostility and scorched earth cancelling of people simply for expressing an opinion that differs from the received wisdom that anthropogenic climate change is real. That Unfortunately, that appears to be a new social phenomenon that's true for any debate. Mm. So it's not just global warming, which it definitely exists. You get out of line, you will be you will be traumatized fast. Because I, um, I love I love I love the they have cancellation. In I it. love the quote: um, "Science advances one funeral at a time." <laughs> we we may need to have quite a few funerals this year so that we can get the proper scientific progress that we clearly need. Well, the problem is, I think the replacement. One of the things that I'm a little concerned about is that the the, the younger scientists are coming through pretty woke. And I wrote about this year where um, I, I wrote it denouncing group statements. And I, I, I went at them pretty hard. And the problem I have with group statements, and first and foremost, is you're thinking as a group now, not independently. Second of all, the statement undoubtedly did not capture your opinion accurately, because it's a group statement. And, and therefore, you compromised on your statement by being part of a group. And then, and, and so it, it, leads to echo chamber effects and all sorts of things. So, so scientists should not be readily signing off on group statements. They're supposed to be fiercely independent, and they're not now. And so I see the scientific community signing off on crap. Um, and I started thinking about this with the global warming. So if you ask any scientists, they'll say, oh, yeah, they believe in global warming. You, if you probe, you'll discover that they personally don't have any knowledge of it. And that, that there's very, very few who could hold up a conversation, even against someone like me who studied it uh, intensely in an amateurish way. Um, I'm pretty sure I could destroy 95% of the scientists who say global warming's real. <clears throat> um, and so, so the problem there is that they're signing off because somehow they think, well, I'm, I'm basically showing support and faith in the scientists who are studying global warming. And and it's a very political subject, so I would say that um, that's a that's a mistake. Anything political, right? Mm. Another place you saw this year is like um, you know the therapeutic treatments for COVID. They're out there, they exist, and they work. In my opinion, my opinion, they work. And they got stepped on, and it became clear to me pretty early that it was probably the vaccine crowd saying, well, "Yeah, no. you can't make any money out of recommending people have vitamin C, vitamin D, and uh, and a hydroxychloroquine. And, you can make a ton and, of money and on vaccines." Ivermectin is the one that looks like a miracle drug, yeah. which you can buy a tractor supply in the United States um, for five dollars for a full regimen of it. And um, and and so so it got stepped on, and and I I thought it was the 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 vaccine guy saying we have to shut this down because we need the vaccines to save the day, right? And that that made sense. I think Fauci is a slime ball. I think uh, I think Gates is in there, as you know. We've talked about Gates a lot. Um, 
Well, someone sent me an email that was really telling. He said, uh, he said, you're missing an important part of the story. And he sent me a screen grab of the statute about um, releasing a, a vaccine on an emergency basis, what the criteria is to release a vaccine on an emergency basis. What catches your eyes, one is it has to show efficacy, of course. And the second is there can be no alternatives. To get emergency release, there can be no alternatives. So they had to step on the alternatives. And all of a sudden they go, oh, that was a plot thickener. So I have HCQ, azithromycin, and ivermectin in my medicine cabinet. My advice to everyone is to get I would just probably go with ivermectin, take vitamin D3. I take vitamin D3. The vitamin D deficiency appears to be correlated heavily with the severe reaction to COVID. But it'll also be consistent with being forced to stay at fucking home um, and, I got and not get any sun natural though. sunlight. Yeah, I got a lot of sun, though. I sat out on my deck all summer you know, ducking cancellations and crap like that. Um, but the ivermectin is, it looks like the best bet. So go to your, go to your pet supply or something, get, get just pure ivermectin. It doesn't have to be pure, but don't get, you know, triple dewormer or whatever heartworm combos, just get ivermectin. Is that as prevention or cure or both? Well, I know a lot of people were taking it preventatively. There apparently are three countries in Africa, which have so many parasites. It works as an anti-parasite. It apparently has a phenomenal benign spectrum. It's so is that, is, that, is that why Bill Gates was pissed off because Africa didn't have enough coronavirus? I think that's right. So what happened was there's three countries that have such a parasite problem that they take what is feeble annual budgets and they give everyone in their country free ivermectin. Mm. And their names of countries, I can't even, it's not the big ones. It's not Ethiopia or Ghana, some, some of these smaller ones. And, uh, and apparently they have almost no COVID. And, and the belief is that the ivermectin has kept it out of their country. And uh, so I know guys like Chris Martinson take it prophylactically once a week, 20 milligrams. Um, there's, there's now clinical studies. There's at least, I think, eight of them that are not big, but show that ivermectin works miraculously, actually. And, and, and it even works on pretty late stage symptomatic cases, which, which is tough because you've got organ damage already and stuff like that. Um, and so it, your choice, if you, if you listen to the, the experts, your choice is you get sick until you have to be hospitalized and then they can treat you. That, that, it's an insane situation where alternatively, you can be taking vitamin D3. And I'm not, I'm not a vitamin guy. I'm not a supplement guy. I'm, I'm not a believer that, you know, touchy feely, you know, you get the V worms, you'll, it, it's healthy, you know, none of that crap. I'm, I do not sign off on the vitamin supplement model. General. I'm, I'm just looking at the who coronavirus dashboard and there's 21 deaths uh, in Tanzania. Sounds like quite a low figure given right. that, uh, no South a- given that South Africa has 40,574. Well, check out India. Supposedly India is really stunning. Um, and so, uh, and so, uh, I the, if as soon as you test positive or are symptomatic in a way, you go, this could be it. It's got some of the properties. I'd be down in twenty mg of ivermectin daily. If anyone's looking for some travel advice, um, assuming we could travel, of course, because we're all under house arrest and they've closed the borders. Uh, Turkmenistan is the travel tip for for this year because they've had zero cases and zero deaths. Where is this? Turkmenistan. 
Oh, that sounds great. And also um, no um, no cases or deaths in North Korea either. That's odd. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's possible that North Korea uh, having, having said that, we know this virus is 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 desperately clever, so it's clearly clearly knows which places to avoid. Well, and then the, there's another phenomenon that occurred, and I noticed this, and I couldn't make sense of it. So the Swedes, you know, opened up pretty good. There were other countries, but, you know, the Asian countries that they say, oh, these guys dealt with it really well. Well, they didn't slam the brakes. The, the media tells us they dealt with it. But but if you actually look what they did, they go, this is way less than everyone else. Um, Japan, I mean, Japan's, to, Japan's had a particularly good war in this respect, but that's partly because they love masks anyway. But But they didn't do much else. They didn't. That's they they the couldn't lock down because they were constitutionally prevented from doing so. But but so so what happens is, I was watching Sweden, which really opened up. Said, "Screw it, we're not playing this game." And they had a burst at the beginning and they had a high per capita death toll because they got hit before they knew how not to kill people with ventilators and stuff like that. Mm. And they didn't yet have some of the uh, steroidal treatments in place. So, so, so Sweden was the tip of the spear. They had a lot of unnecessary deaths early. And then wave two showed up. And there was tremendous pressure from Europe for Sweden to get with the program and pretend like it's a problem. And they were saying, no, we're fine. We're doing fine. And then all of a sudden, um, Sweden's kind of changed their tune my guess is pressure was applied to the right people at the right places. Mm. And wave two showed up. And at first it looked like it was pretty small. And then one day I'm looking at it. If you Google COVID deaths and New York Times site comes up, there's there's wave two. You can see it clear as can be. And you notice it, it wasn't very big. And then all of a sudden it just changed and it looked pretty big. And I go, what the hell just happened? And I, I couldn't figure out what happened. Then I finally figured it out. They started aggregating their counts. And so instead of reporting daily deaths, which kept the amplitude low, they, they went to deaths every two days. So you see these spikes with gaps in the middle. And then they went to every three days. Then they went to every four days to get the amplitude of the spike higher and higher. Because if you go to four days instead of one, you're going to get a fourfold increase in the spike. Right. And so the Swedish data looks bad to those who don't look at plots for a living. But the Swedish data is a fraud. Now, if you get data from Sweden, you get real Swedish data, not New York Times data. They don't do that. And the second spike is not that big. I wouldn't piss on the New York Times's teeth if they were on fire. Yeah, I wouldn't either. That You know, I, none of the none of the the media has been so disappointingly I would say get rid of them, but that's going backwards. The the libertarian approach is simply just to stop giving them your your money and you know, basically you know finding alternative, new, different, better media. Right. The problem is they're stepping on them too. Yeah. So so you know if you want to kick people off Twitter because it's a private company, which I don't agree is valid. Then you go to Parler and then they close it down. <laughs> Right. And, you know, if you want to keep blacks out of your diner, you don't get to do that. Society long ago said you can't be arbitrary and capricious. And we've got this phrase and I think started back in the 64 Civil Rights Act. where They talk about discriminating based on race, creed, color or religion. Right. And uh, and uh, I go, isn't uh, being conservative a creed? And so so therefore, isn't this wrong? So I think that the, the Supreme Court is woefully behind in making a few decisions about what these companies can and can't do. 
And if they want a rule that Twitter can kick us off, I, I'll live with it. But they, you're right. They destroyed Gab. They destroyed Parler. They, they, they're, they're, they're booting off highly selectively right-wing libertarian types. Facebook booted Ron Paul, for Christ's sakes. I mean, um, yeah. Is They've had their servers taken away. I, I think Amazon shut down their servers. So they're in the process of, I, th I believe they're in the process of getting back up, but it's going to take, a, take another few days. And they also suck. <laughs> they're not that good. Well, that's, um, this is the issue, isn't it? Because, I mean, my, my favorite quote about Twitter is, is actually from Zuckerberg himself, who said it was a, a clown car driven into a gold mine. And... <laughs> and it's but it's 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 so addictive it's just so addictive and the thing is i don't even know what to call it exactly because although i've been losing you know hundreds of followers I don't, i'm not really that bothered in fact i think twitter would be infinitely better if you couldn't see your follower numbers or you could just switch off switch them off you know you know voluntarily well, or just yeah, make so i've had the same experience in fact my twitter experience was way better when i had about a thousand followers I, I got to admit, there are people I'm connected with that I've accumulated over the, I'm at like 57 or something thousand. It's a, it's a ridiculous number. Um, there's people I've connected with over the years that I'm glad, glad I am. Uh, and that, real, and Twitter's, uh, Twitter's probably the only way that those connections could have been made. That's right. And so you kind of have to put up with the guff to, yeah. to get there. But, but, um, but, but, but then I, I noticed... Someone asked, are you losing followers? And so I started paying attention to my follower count. And for years, it seemed to methodically go up so much. I thought maybe they were stuffing it full of fakes just to keep me addicted, you know, frontal cortex crap. And, uh, and then I noticed it, they just didn't move at all. And, and, you know, when you got 56,000, you know, you, there's a network of effect. I should... I used to, on a sort of a daily to every other day basis, see another tenth of a thousand, you know, another couple hundred show up. I could see people showing up, but the total count never changed. For six months, it never changed. Now, here's the funny part. And that went right through my year in review period, which tends to be a bolus, right? Because it comes out and people who've never heard of me, you know, click. And, and, uh, and, and, and then after... After the inauguration, it's now racing back up again. And I don't know if that's a correlation or not, but I literally saw maybe 50 new followers a day if I looked at the followers, the new ones, to check to see if there's someone I should know about. But the total just didn't budge for six it months. Because it's it's a funny it's a funny little animal, and I was late to the party on Twitter. I'm never an early adopter of anything except idiocy, and, um, and I just wish I'd, I'd come onto it sooner. Because for all its faults, it is a superb network networking device, and yeah. also particularly in the light of the the catastrophic failure of mainstream media to do its fucking job, it's now about the only place you can go for, let's say, and I'm choosing my words carefully and ironically, but it's also the, almost the only place you can go to get um, un, unfiltered um, opinion. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. In fact, one of the suggestions I make to people, my wife has health issues, and I tell them, if you go on a new med, go on Twitter and search the name of the med. Because my wife had one that really made her batshit crazy. 
And after I figured it out, I mean, it was, it took a while. I, I thought she had traumatic brain injury or something. And I went on Twitter after we figured it out and she went off and everything was back to normal. Um, and there were people all over Twitter complaining about this symptom. And they were going, you know, my, my family doesn't understand me. I'm just so irritated and angry. And I'm going, that's, that's your Keppra. It's a drug called Keppra. Mm. So I go on a new med. I search Twitter to see if anyone's saying, oh, my God, I keep projectile vomiting. And, you know, I just to find out what people are saying about that drug. I one time posted a problematic med on a chat board back around 07. Remember when the med, med chat boards were popular? And I saw nothing on the chat board that told me that, that this med was a problem. So I posted something about it that was a problematic side effect. And I went back to see if anyone commented and they had deleted it. I go, okay, give me, give me a, a baseball bat in 10 minutes with whoever did that. I would, I would let them know what my opinion of doing that is. Um, and uh, so, but Twitter's unfiltered. Do you think that, that Twitter should be regulated or do you think that they, we should, oh, just, no. they should just be proper uh, competition allowed to emerge? And that's, well, you know, I, I could imagine a regulation where the Twitter rules are such that, you know, not just stating anger, but, you know, if, if somehow you can really demonstrate that you're organizing violent acts. So I got I got a bunch of guff when I said I could kind of picture Twitter booting Trump, although I can't. But if, if you can make the case that he was trying to rally a mob, not a protest then I can, in theory, I can, in theory, um, find evidence for filtering, but they're booting people just because they're right wing. If we can have, if we can have something like the blockchain, we can surely have a social media platform that just allows free speech that can also, using AI, just edit out the the, the clearly, you know, offensive slash illegal stuff. Yeah, but some left-winger Silicon Valley is going to decide what's offensive. It's very difficult to know. What? And in the current era, offensive is saying anything right wing. One thing, but I've thought about this a bit, you know, unlike most things I do in my life. And uh, it's, it seems to me that one way you could uh, improve things, not necessarily make them perfect, but improve things, is just forcing people to use their real names. Because half the problem is you've got all these people who are basically just monstering people completely anonymously. Right. Right. The troll factor is huge. Um, I one time discovered it. I had my settings in a way where I couldn't see anything that was said that I didn't from a person who I didn't follow. So it was invisible to me. And I changed the setting and these things showed up where um, remember this kid, David Hogg, the kid who was involved in the, the shootings in Florida. And he got a lot of press for for narrating the story. And he was a kind of despicable guy. He's really not a very likable kid. And his sister came out and tweeted something. She got into a shit storm. She's 15 years old. And so I went out there. I said, look, um, I said to her, and I'm not sure if she would see it, but I said, you've entered a very adult debate that's rancorous. I said, you, sh- you should be very careful about getting sucked into this debate. Right? That's good advice. I got 500 of the most hateful, hateful responses from that. What on and- earth? did they say that's like seems well, like the I most think, sensible advice think, you could give i think those are organized release the hound counterattacks. i don't think those are 500 people expressing their views i think that's i think that's maybe even a bot so someone made the decision that i had to be snuffed on that comment and so, and 
Yeah. So um, I guess what you could do if you're if if you are tech savvy is you could look at the essence of what somebody said, create a load of bots that says something to the contrary, and then make that person stay engaged because again, this is this is all that that there's some great upsides to social media. Of course, all the great people that you meet and great comments and things that you can learn. But in order for you to stay on there, if you if you stay off Twitter for a little bit, as we know from um, programs like the, the, the documentary The Social Dilemma, they will find ways to get you back on. They will look at what you've done and they'll they'll ping something. They'll ping, they'll ping you. They'll ping you and they'll, they'll say, oh, your, friend, you. your friend's just done this. And what do you think? They'll and... keep, yeah, they'll keep pinging you. They'll find, they'll press your buttons. They'll find where your button is and they'll press it. Yeah. Um, blocked. <laughs> the, the thing I've been also laboring over is the question of, um, it's, it's gotten so potentially unsettling for me watching the elections, watching as a believer that the wholesale fraud is quite possible. I could be convinced to the contrary. Um, no one has tried to convince me to the contrary. They've only declared it. I'm full of crap. Um, the, that watching this stuff play out is like watching them beat baby harp seals. And, and so it's, it's not obvious that it makes me a happier person, but at the same time, it's kind of mesmerizingly. And, and how do you, how do you turn away when you think that, you know, free speech is at stake? And, and so that I'm, I'm really torn between whether or not I'm making myself miserable by, by watching and archiving and documenting the, the, this, this level of human folly that's no longer funny versus saying, you know, I'm done and just going off and, you know, becoming a fly fisherman or something. Well, um, no, you've, you've got somebody has to try and at least give us perspective on it all because. Well, I agree, except for the fact that that someone <clears throat> is falling on their sword pretty hard. Yeah. And so, you know, if I'm a Jew in Germany in 1932 and I see this shit coming, I, I got a couple of choices. One is to get out. Yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's the trouble is the trouble is stay and fight it, you know. Missed the boat on that one. Yeah, I know. Um, and so um, I, I, I'm toying with whether or not I'm paying too high an emotional price trying to keep track of what's going on and trying to battle it when I can. Um, and, you know, I could, in theory, lose my job. They didn't, they, it's hard, it would be hard to get me, but in theory, it can be done. I'm 65, so, you know, who cares? I've, I've got what's called fuck you money. I, I could retire today and be okay. Um, but but something keeps me engaged. Maybe it's the social dilemma stuff. Maybe it's the frontal cortex is my enemy. And I don't realize that it's not about trying to fight the good fight, but rather I'm just getting suckered into fighting. It's um perhaps the, the place that we're at is inevitable, was inevitable, because how i was i was as tim was saying i was also thinking about how you deal with this problem and it seemed to be that you have a platform that just allows everybody to say whatever they want as long as it's legal they should be allowed right. to say what they want but then you get into the realms of well then people can can start posting things that are you know, obviously not true. So what do you do about that? Do you let them say things like, you know, 5G does this to you or, or, or whatever it might be? Because just because we might think that's nonsense, 
that doesn't mean that somebody else has that level of, of uh, that, that, that they'd be triggered by it at that point to say, oh no, that's nonsense. They'll believe it. So there are people who are extremely gullible that will believe anything. And, right, and, and they could hurt themselves. No arbiter of facts left. Yeah, exactly. So at one point, at one point, the mainstream media served that purpose. Yes, exactly, exactly. And, and they don't anymore. So I, I can't name for you a mainstream media talking head who I think looks at. I can. I, there's a couple I think. I watch for people who can cross over that midline and, and, and take the other side when it seems appropriate. And those people win me over. I've made on a number of occasions the statement that, uh, that Bill Maher and Tucker Carlson are sort of mirror images of each other, where one's super left, one's super right. But they both have the capacity to say, now you guys are full of shit. They both have that capacity. So um, there's a bunch of, there's a, ga- a small gaggle of liberals who are attempting to find the mid middle ground again. And they're not very powerful yet, but, but people who follow them um, really are trying to make sense of the world. And these are guys who can, they get called Nazis because they entertain an idea from the right wing. Uh, But the media, the failure of the utter failure of the media to do its job is, is certainly at, at, at heart because if, if we knew that, um, that ABC and CBS, NBC, BBC, you name it, we're trying to get the story right, we could defer to them. We could say, look, here's a story from CBS that says that's not true. But they're all whores. They're all whores. I wonder part, whether that, has that always... business model's falling apart. So they're, they're, they've turned to prostitution due to lack of income. Yeah. Yeah, and that's that's caused by, obviously, the partly by the the shared eyeballs for the, for the platform so you can't you can't be on well i suppose you can be on one platform and another but there's there's only so many it's like the the, the satellite tv channels there's we used to have you know th- three four channels um and then f- channel five came along and that was it so you know you either watch one of those five channels or you didn't watch tv and now it's like well there's there's just so much choice and you can only you can only watch one thing at a time. So, to be fair to, to, be fair to in in relation to what Dave was was, was just saying, ninety nine point nine recurring percent of mainstream media are just fucking abysmal. But there are some fantastic standouts, and one of them would some of them are new media, and some of them are old. the The best old media, I'd say, is I don't know if you you read it, Dave, but the Spectator magazine here in the UK. Yeah, I read the Spectator some. Um, usually it comes across my field of view, um, by chance, you know, and I watch guys. So these, this group of liberals include guys like, um, Greenwald, um, a much lesser known person, Brett Weinstein, who's got a real head on his shoulders, his brother, Eric, um, uh, Matt Taibbi. Oh, Matt Taibbi is great, isn't he? Because he's the uh, vampire, the coiner of the vampire squid. Uh, yeah, I watched him do an interview yesterday, and the guy was tutoring him on the the 2008 crisis. I'm thinking, you know who you're talking to, <laughs> right? And I'm, Matt's quietly listening. I talk about the the criminality of the 2008 crisis. I go, yeah. the guy wrote the definitive put down of the crisis. Yeah, and um, and so Taibbi, I think, is very good. I think he's trying to get it right. Um, there's In a fact, I think I've taken out a subscription to his things. He's got like a private private subscriber service now. I think. Well, the other thing is 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 Linda 
Laura Poitras and Greenwald started The Intercept with the idea of being, you know, free exchange, you know, new media. And they both got run out of Dodge. They lost control of their own company because of because of the, the political currents within the company. So you start your own media company and then you can't control it. And so so that it's and the problem is, as as Brett Weinstein talks about, he says, you're still at the mercy of the platforms and who's who's airing your stuff. So, you know, the, the, the parlor problem. Yeah. And he says, we don't have the power. Some people think we have because they can shut us down today. Yeah. And that's the problem. So if at some point Brett becomes a cult level following, which he does, he has a huge number of people who love to listen Again, very smart, very but, thoughtful. But the beauty of the beauty of the the internet or the web is that uh, I think this is coining a, an early internet quote. It, the, it, the internet um, rejects censorship; it interprets it as damage and roots around it. So, okay, so where is, is uh, where is Milo Yiannopoulos? Is 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 in Maryland? Is it? Milo Yiannopoulos <laughs> was was omnipresent. He was everywhere. And then they squashed him, and he is gone. I, I would not know where Milo Yiannopoulos was. I could not identify something I've seen from that. And he was a he was a, a talkative character. But I guess I guess what I'm saying is, I mean, how, I, I don't do it myself, but we we have a web guy that does it for us. But how, how much does it cost to to, to, to register a, a, a domain name these days? Well, Twenty dollars. No, it's, it's insignificant. Yeah. Yeah. So, right, so, but 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 they can keep taking out your networking. I appreciate itself. they appreciate you have to maybe you have to keep reinventing yourself, but the answer is just to have lots of lots lots of um what do they call it redundancy? Have multiple sites, run multiple sites. So, for example, the, the great it, it's a great learning curve for luddites like me. So, as soon as big tech cracks down on somebody, you then learn about Parler and Gab and. Uh, BitChute and all these other alternatives. Now, I appreciate they haven't yet got critical mass, but you know, in, in the meantime, you just play this ridiculous waltz on the likes of uh, YouTube and uh, Facebook and Twitter. Yeah. Well, I'm not that optimistic. Um, we would never have a Watergate scandal. It wouldn't last 20 minutes. Um, Watergate looks quaint by comparison. Well, the Watergate scandal now would be someone in government finding out about just how corrupt the New York Times is. Right, but it, but it also wouldn't last more than a day. The the the, the scandals of, of of late are far worse than Watergate, and they just blow right by. You know, take for example the Panama Papers. Right, those were that was a horrific scandal. I couldn't have lasted a week. Uh, to, to lighten the load, I'm just going to cite a tweet I just saw, which is, uh, if you haven't put on at least a stone, got a serious drinking problem, or got hair that looks like you've been shagged in the pub car park, then you have not been taking this lockdown seriously enough. <laughs> <laughs> Was that yours then, Tim? No, no, no. no I'm credit where credit's you. That's somebody else's. I, no, no, I got no. it via Ronald Thomas MEP. Very good. Very good. Oh, we're I, think we're, I think we're at media, media's zone now, aren't we? I think we are. I think we are. Um, so... So, so Dave, what's caught your eye over the um, over the the past couple of months uh, in terms of could be a book, film, or blog, or, or anything that you think is either absolutely fantastic that we should we should consume or we should avoid, like the plague. Um, everything we've talked about, we should avoid, probably. Um, <laughs> I 
think I do think there is a there's a bursting bubble coming, and I I, I think that should catch your eye. If I if I had a, a, a if I was seriously exposed to risk assets, I I I'd be skedaddling out of there fast. Um, and again, you might be too early. You might have to sit there for a year or two and and feel like an idiot. But uh, I think the next. If it really, you know, people people talk about the March thing like it's a correction. That was nothing. It corrected nothing. A correction, it's got to correct something. It somehow got to correct something. Yeah. And it didn't. And so I, I have the markets at like a round number. I'll call it between 100 to 150% overvalued. Um, and some stocks are, you know, should go to zero. But um and if we, if we, if and when we regress to that mean, and I believe that that is a force of nature that they've been fighting like crazy. But I think the Sisyphus is going to come to mind at some point here. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to cause so much pain. The problem is, is that um, we've got a terrible economy. We've got people who are all angry at each other in a profound way, and we haven't yet hit the bad stuff. So I think we're in the eye of a hurricane here with respect to the COVID, um, the COVID dip. I think they've been able to somehow keep us thinking that everything's going to be okay. So people are keeping their shit together. But um, I think at some point we're going to discover that all the people who haven't been paying their mortgages, countless ones who have to start at some point can't pay them. And then we're going to have commercial mortgage-backed securities tanking. And then we're going to, you know, the exodus from the cities means the cities have to reinvent themselves. That's not a quick process. Yeah. What what could so they what could I, they I reinvent themselves I, to? It's like we. It's not like well, they're going to be cinemas. No. They will. They will because at some point things become cheap. And but you know when 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 you're a developer, first and foremost, you're leveraged always, right? The, the de- developers aren't using their own money, and so the whole developing world is leveraged. And you worry, you know, you 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 extend out the leverage. You say, look, the 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 income stream is going to pay off the debt, and so I can lever up some more. And I don't think any of them could fathom that, like in uh, San Francisco. Two of my students are in San Francisco right now, former students, and their 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 uh, rent went from four thousand to twenty four hundred in one year. Yeah. And because of the competition to keep them in that building. Now, if if you if you're heavily leveraged and you lose that revenue stream, you're there is a default in your future. Well, that sounds like deflation to me. The big well, big deal. It, now, it does, and and so I I think the fear of a, a is there a hybrid deflation inflation right that you know that. Because, yeah, you've got multiple parts and they're all pulling in different directions. It reminds me a little bit of that that line by Hemingway where he says, how do you go bankrupt? To which the man responds, well, in 2021 and then 2022. Right. Exactly right. And so I think we have a huge number of bankruptcies in our future. And at some point, the system breaks. Right, right, now, right now, it's been bent. Right now, right now, it looks like it's just a hanging off a precipice waiting to go. And I think at some point, it's going to go. And once the leverage speculators, which are chasing Tesla up, and you know, I did an analysis of overvaluation of broken markets and stuff. Uh, Netflix, there's an example. Netflix is up a hundredfold in something like twelve years. They still don't make money. And so, if Netflix gave that hundredfold back and got chopped down to one percent of the current value, they'd still be a company that loses money. 
I don't know how to think about that. <laughs> and, and they have to feed the beast of content. They can't stop producing content, which is mm. why they're always not making money. And it, well, it's cost a lot more now as well to make content. Right. And they can't even make it. So they had a cash flow positive quarter or something. The reason is because they made no content. And people sat home clicking on Netflix because what else are you going to do? Yeah. So, and you know, all, there's a ton of these companies um, that are just like this. Amazon, if, if, if it gave back the last tenfold gain, would have a PE of 15. Mm. And, and so the question is, at what point does the market say, okay, okay, uh, Bezos, now you have to make some money. Microsoft eventually had to make some money. Now, they're at all-time high valuations, too, but they do make some money. Tesla makes no money. Tesla's a total fraud. Their, their, their profits are fictional. And, um, and so that there's all these companies that at some point, the markets kind of say, okay, um, either make some money or I'm out. Once the leverage speculators decide that they've gotten what they could get out of this system and they better sneak out the back door now. Once they make the decision that there's not a lot of upside left, then the downside shows up immediately. Mm. And once the downside shows up, then it cascades. We all know this drill. Yeah. We all know this drill. We've said it's happened over and over through history. And so I think I think there is that moment where the speculators first decide it's time to get out. And then then it becomes we have to get out. And the, then, the reason the reason I mentioned the trend followers earlier, and I'll I'll send you the piece uh, again after the after the show, uh, is a, I mean Paul can probably do a better description of them than I can, but it's effectively simple, it's a straight, relatively straightforward, systematic price trend following for uh, approach, and the reason it appeals to me, and we we have typically about twenty percent of our client portfolios um, held yeah, in the form of trend followers. Out. I didn't look at that. And basically, there are, there are two reasons for, for liking them, particularly this year, where we are now, with, in, in, in light of what could be coming at us all in the next, in the next few months. A, they are completely uncorrelated to the stock and bond market. And B, they have the potential to generate outsized returns from pr pronounced bear markets. Yeah, so, that's a, that's a winning strategy if you can pull that off. So, and and so, you know, the legends who are out there saying this stuff now. So I mentioned Paul Singer. I, yeah. He's totally catatonic. Grantham, who's been um, declaring we are in a bubble for three years, but... But he's doubled down on it right now. Well, so, yeah. So what he'd been doing for three years is talking about how we're in a bubble, but it's not done. Yeah. Where he's doubled down now is he's saying now it's done. Yeah. And, and, and he's totally dispelling all the various baloney arguments that people use, um, you know, and, and all the trolls out there saying, oh, he's been wrong for so long because he declared we're in a bubble and he, he was correct, but he also never declared it was over. Now he's declaring it's over. Uh, there's massively important people who are saying this game is now over. Once they take their money with them, mm. then the selling starts. I think the point, so, the, there's the point is also that there's only a few people who really know how to deal with a proper bear market. And well, anyone who knows to go to cash early is, knows. Yeah, right? yeah. well, that, that's one strategy. And there's also, you know, um, I mean, you could be trigger happy, but at least it, it, it's better to respond to the fire bell, even if it's just a drill, than just to sit there and burn. 
Well, if you're going to panic, panic early or yeah. uh, enjoy, enjoy the party but dance near the door. Yeah. So can we right. find? Can we find <laughs> any more of those? Uh, any more cliches? Any, any more cliches? Any... Let's go back to Singer. <laughs> Singer said something really important. Is he's talking about the Fed being a bunch of dorks and talking about how they want inflation? How stupid that is. We all know mm. that. Yeah. Um, but he said that. Um, he was pointing at the fact, and this is, again, this is not a news flash to a lot of us, but still to hear from Singer is helpful, because he said, you know, when the Fed gets three, three and a half percent inflation, they will think, okay, that's fine, it's temporary, but we finally got our inflation, they'll be satisfied, not realizing that, that it's not stopping. Yeah. And, and, and he says they have no mechanism to know if it's stopping. Well, it's like it's like the combination of the biggest game of chicken in the world, where basically the market, the market, it's the markets of the world, particularly the foreign exchange markets versus the Fed, and the market's going to go. We we know you're not going to put rates up, so we're just going to fuck you. Yeah, but the rates, I do believe the Fed is not omnipotent. Uh, I I do believe the market can over overwhelm the system. The, the, the foreign sure. exchange market for certainly sure. can. Absolutely. Well, sure. and 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 the other thing is is if inflation really starts becoming so self evident that even the B minus bureaucrats at the Fed have to acknowledge it, then then there's a real problem. If they have to fight inflation into a sell off or right a, a stagflation, they're not going to have any idea what to do, and and they're they're um. I've asked so many famous, famous people whether the Fed is filled with um, knowing people who are terrified or idiots. And or I've both, never gotten both. an answer that convinced me they were more than just guessing. But yeah. I think the combination is, is uh, who did I ask recently? I asked someone pretty prominent recently. Um, and I think that they they can see the risks but they also have this sense of they know how to control them and so there's an arrogance there that's dangerous that's so dangerous well, it's not dangerous in fact they, the phrase you know stability breeds instability yes exactly exactly so your your media pick uh, dave my what my media pick yeah zero hedge zero hedge <laughs> fantastic tim this this one will be close to your heart, Paul, because I'm going to recommend, and I may have done it before, but I'm going to recommend uh, the, the series It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Ah, yes, I hear that's brilliant. <laughs> so you've seen, you've, seen, you've seen one or two of them, I know, because you had a bit, bit of a binge session last week. Yes. Um, but basically, I've got into this. This has been the, the few things have been good about lockdown, but one of the things that's been good about lockdown, have you seen uh, It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia, Dave? No, but I'm writing it down. It is. It is the funniest thing I've seen in ages. Da- it's also Danny the DeVito. darkest. It's also the darkest thing I've seen in ages. So to give you an idea of just how dark they can get. Now I'm going to spoil one because that's that's my time honored way of dealing with reality is spoiling <laughs> the plot of good things. There's plenty, though, um, so. but, there's pl- but there's plenty of evidence because they've got like a thousand of them now. Um, and uh, so, there's, so there's one. There's a character called Sweet D. Who's the sort of the uh, the the ditzy blonde of the of this sort of basically barfly crew posse, and this is one of them, and she says, uh, 
that one of the guys is at the bar is asking her what her how her finances are, and she says, "Oh, she's got all these, you know, these great ploys, and she's, you know, she's she's she's, she's had a she's had a, a kid. Uh, what do you call them? A surrogate kid for somebody else, and you know, she's now getting child support and all this stuff. And then the title then just comes up as D gets audited by the IRS, and um, so, so so someone from the IRS comes to to to, to quiz her about her child." And so they have to fake a child just so that they can keep, keep the IRS off her back. And then someone says, you know what? Actually, don't fake that. We, no, there's a better way of doing this. So then they have a funeral for the child. Um, so, <laughs> they, 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 so they have a funeral involving a little, a tiny little coffin, tiny little white coffin. And um, the, the, the plots are so intricate and well done. And the, I mean, ev- everything about it is superb. But also it's low rent delivery is you know, low rent production quality. Is is also a joy, yeah. And I, so they have this, they have this, they have this funeral service, and then someone knock, someone knocks over the coffin, and a, and a dead dog comes <laughs> spills out because they started they started the episode with a dog dying in the car park outside, and they want to have a proper funeral for the dog. So I'm telling you, you you cannot get anything darker. It's absolutely superb, and it's on Netflix. Brilliant stuff. Um, mine is going to be a recommendation of yours really, Tim, because this is a book that you've always talked about and I, for a Christmas treat for myself, bought it, um, and started reading it a couple of weeks ago and it's just superb. Sapiens by Mm. Yuval Noah Harari. It's just superb. I think this is the sort of book that every school child should be given on sort of day Mm. one as soon as appropriate. Mm. Um, it's just just amazing fantastic um fantastic reading and i know it's one of your favorite books of all time tim oh absolutely um so now here's the here's the question i have i read sapiens yep i can't remember anything from it now i know it's in my head because i know that that the way the human mind works is you don't index it to be able to regurgitate the book some someone will say something that will trigger an idea that you don't know where you got it from. Yeah. Uh, I think it was Emerson said, you know, I, I, I can't remember the books I read any more than the meals that I've eaten, but they make me who I am today. Yes. And I so that's a that's a satisfying quote for me. But um, I can't remember Sapiens at all. I remember I'll, enjoying it. I'll give you a t- I'll give you I'll give you my takeaway from the whole thing. And the whole thing's worth reading. And, and as Paul said, it's probably probably my favorite book of the last 20 years. Um, and it's it's the following the following analogy metaphor it's the idea okay so a, a village of 100 people does not need any external organization it can it can self-manage it can right. administer its own affairs but a country of 70 million people needs some form of external third-party administration well at least that's the lie that we're given uh but in, in, you know but basically that country and it's kind of pertinent to the situation we're in now since i think we're basically at war with china in all right. but name that country has to be able, in extremis, to persuade a, co- a cohort of its young men, because it will be mostly men, racist, uh, it will be mostly men, um, to fight and potentially die in defense of that country. How do they do that? The answer is they tell them stories. So we tell each right. other these great narratives and national myths and all the rest of it. And, you know, the, the, I mean, the Second World War is one gigantic national myth in, in the UK. Um, so that that for me and it, it might seem an odd point because i read english at university and i spent three years i mean I, i've always loved loved reading anyway but um i spent three years at oxford reading uh basically the the all-time greats in the anglo-saxon canon 
Uh, and so it's slightly odd for me to be con- conceding that the power of narrative should not have come as a, like a, a you know a, a whirlwind out of the blue, but it did. But Sapiens is about the power of narrative. And the other takeaway, because I'll give you two now for the price of nothing, uh, is the, the 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 fundamental question that it seeks to answer is back you know at the dawn of man, quarter of a million years ago, there was Homo habilis, the uh, the handyman, uh, ancient man. Homo australiensis, Homo neanderthalis, the Neanderthal men, and Homo sapiens. What was it about Homo sapiens that meant that we beat all the others in the evolutionary race? And the point there uh, is also, just to interject, yeah. that the Neanderthals weren't stupid. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, Paul. Sorry, yeah, to, interrupt so, 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 sorry to interrupt. <laughs> but the, the Neanderthals weren't stupid. They had bigger brains than we They had, had. bigger brains than the, they, the sapiens did. Yeah, that, and that's something that... Um, that it wasn't generally accepted. We we like to think that they were stupid and we were clever, but that's not the case. It was something else. So Tim, so. based on the people I know, I would say they won. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, well, yeah. if we're going to go that direction, instead of zero hedge, I'm going to give you a couple wrecks too. Um, and these are just quirky thoughts that popped into my head. One prepared by your team across the pond was MI5, which I really enjoyed the TV show. There's oh. about eight, nine seasons. So if you like it's, it, it's you called know. MI5. It's called MI5. What, what's that and, on, Dave? Uh, what, where did you catch that? that? Where did you catch that? Where, where is it? And my wife somehow picked up on it. And it's really, it's one of the first shows that offed the stars where you go, well, that guy can't that. You go, oh my God, they just boiled him. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that like Game of Thrones? Excellent. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, so no one is safe in MI5. Brilliant, brilliant. Oh, this yeah, this sounds right up our struggle. unsafe. New Sorry, alpha male shows up on the set, right? And you go, uh-oh, I think that guy's going to buy it now because they brought in a new alpha male. Um, then quirky, quirky, cultish, quirky trailer park boys from Canada. And, uh, and that's really funny. Um, and, then, uh, and then if you want a couple of books, I really enjoyed Unbroken about Louis Zamperini, um, who, who had an extraordinary life. Um, and the, the book's essentially like three chapters, three different phases of his life. And another one I thought was riveting was a book called Ghost Soldiers about liberating a POW camp. Now, those are these are all way off the beaten path. I, yeah. pick, I pick these because they're not everyone knows about them. Well, so that, I enjoyed all those. They must be good because they, they are at the top of your, your, your memory. So fantastic stuff. Look, Dave, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you on the show, especially with it being our first one of 2021. And um, we look forward to having you back. And um, Yeah, I'm we'll, going to try to survive this virus. Absolutely. <laughs> we'll, we'll put links to your, um, to your year in review. And, um, and, you know, let, we look forward to talking to you when you've got 200,000. If, if people want to, want to track you down for good reasons, uh, Dave, how do they do that? <laughs> how can people find you? Who are these people you're talking about who want me for good reasons? Well, um, I think, I'm thinking MI5 comes to mind. Yeah, all, all our listeners. Um, are good well, maybe people. trailer park guys. Yeah. On Twitter, I'm at David B. Column. Um, hard to miss. Um, pretty serious Twitter file. Anyone who's got half a brain can figure out what my email address is if they want to reach out, which, by the way, is in my bio of my Twitter feed, so it's not that hard. But also, searching an academic uh, and getting their email is just not hard. <laughs> so I'll just let I'll let that be a filter for the truly stupid who can't aren't smart enough to find an email online. Um, I'm just saying, if you want, I, I answer emails. Brilliant and, uh, stuff. 
That's superb. Thank you, Dave. Really appreciate it. And good luck on um, Year in Review 2021, which presumably you're halfway through already. I'm horrified. I, I, I keep thinking I'm not going to do it again just because it's just it, it really is a projectile. I would imagine it's quite ha- habit forming, though. They'll be studying yeah, it in thousands of years. Year, I think I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I do it. And so I, I don't know. One of these days I'm going to live up to my can't do it expectation. It'll be, it'll be like Bill and Ted in, in thousands of years. There will be the gospel of St. Dave. Yeah, I know. And they'll now, read extracts. Sure, and people sure people I, will genuflect. I surveyed my last 10 years. I went through them and I pulled out. There's a section called, you know, sort of decade in review. And I pulled out all the, the, the sections that I wrote that, that I thought sort of survived the test of time. So, you know, you don't want to hear about the status of the mortgage market in 2012, right? That's boring. But, but topics that are kind of timeless, like about 20 of them got pulled out. And so people who have not read more than, say, one year's worth, the stuff I like the most is in the decade in review. And some of it I talk about, um, I talk about the Las Vegas shootings, which are not what anyone thought they were. I think there's a story there um, that, that, that got untold and I told it. Um, and uh, stuff like that, the stuff that, that if this you is, want. Does the phrase false flag feature in that analysis? Yeah. In fact, that one I think they blew, which is why I don't hear about it anymore. They don't even mention it, right? It's, it's, it's the biggest shooting in U.S. history, the side of the Civil War, and it never gets mentioned, in part because I, I think it didn't work. It didn't achieve what they wanted to achieve. Yeah. So, yeah, that's so, it for me. Yeah, well, let's hope you do it. Let's hope you d- decide to do it. And thanks I again, probably. Dave. Yeah, fantastic stuff. Yeah. All, all the very best. Thanks again. Thanks, Dave. Yep. See you soon. And thank you so much for listening, and we'll catch you next time. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.